You ready? Good. I can actually uh, hear you there. Yeah, you can hear me? Okay, good. You ready? All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Film Hustlers. Yes, sir. Yeah? So Film Hustlers. Yeah. Here we are, David Dave, once again. But we are without uh, Rod uh, Rinks, whose name is actually Tootie. And because uh, he's got to work, man. People got to work in this town. It's only you, me, and David Dave get to run around and interview people all the time. Yeah. Go, um, it's all fun and games for us. We're not the Tootie. Dude, you're working at in Fuego. Yeah, in is Fuego. that true? Yeah, Fuego is working out really nice. But I noticed like you're at like the Mets game or the Dodger game or the New York Yankee game. I mean, yeah. like, are they sending you all over the United States? Yeah, running around. We're trying to make a, a nice little push towards the end of the season so we can interview some players. And you know, it's amazing. So, do you? What is the purpose of the company? Do you, can you explain that or? Uh, it's just to share human interest stories. Basically, and then uh, with the twist of uh, lime and tapatio. For, so a little in fuego twist. Yeah, you know, for the for the Latin, just just to infuse uh, okay. the culture. Well, it's working. So so not not full on Latino, but just a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah. Like Mexican American. Basically, what I am. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Is that what it's all about? Yeah. We're gonna find out because we got Ben Odell on the show today. Yes, we do. You know who Ben Odell is? Yes, sir. Dude, Ben Odell. <sighs> Let's welcome him, Ben Odell. Welcome to the show. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of yours. That's why oh, we work together. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. But I, uh, before, you know, it's really important that we inform everyone who's listening because we get new listeners every every uh, week. Uh, one thing I'll tell you about the show is we like to inspire. We like to kind of give people ideas of how they can potentially make it. You know, a lot of people are sitting in East LA, San Diego, Midwest, who knows where, uh, thinking, you know, hey, I might want to be in show business and you know, a lot of the guests we have on, like yourself, took a road to get here. It's not always the most traveled. It's, I think show business of all places is probably the least. You get there in the most unusual ways. Well, there's no, there's no set path. That's there's no the set problem. Path. <laughs> but the one, the one thing I think we all have in common is the desire, and what are we talking about? The hustle. Yes, and probably fragile it. egos that we need to fill with. <laughs> with uh, outside uh, <laughs> recognition. That's it. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say before we get any further is that Ben Odell is partners at a company called Tripas, which is really funny because when I first met you, I never associated Tripas with actual what it means. Right. Because, that's right, because <laughs> you think three, pas, right? You think it's a three and a pas, but that's actually not a what it is. A lot of people think it was three PAs who started the company together. <laughs> <laughs> so what does tripas mean? Tripas, guts. Guts. But, you know, uh, in the, in the uh, you know, it took me a while because I started in Colombia and really learned the sensibility of Colombians when I wrote there. And when I started doing content in Mexico, I had to kind of relearn comedy. Every country is very different. And Mexico, they love wordplay. So when we started our company, you know, we wanted to do something that was some kind of wordplay. Um were you born into a family that spoke Spanish? I was not, um, but I did grow up with a Colombian family from the time I was pretty young. And I would pick up words here and there, and then I took Spanish in, in seventh grade or eighth grade, and I took, did sort of my five years of high school Spanish. I didn't really learn Spanish until I moved to Colombia in, 20, in uh, 1992. And why did you move to Colombia? Well, th there's the official reason, and then there's the unofficial reason. Uh. So the official reason was that my dad, who's way smarter than I am, he said to me, you know, you love your family, your Colombian family. You love going to Colombia. 
if you look at the U.S. census right now and where it's going to be in 2000, the Latinos are going to start ruling the roost. And if you could really understand what that audience likes, you could become an expert. And that could be the angle that makes you unique in the entertainment business. I was just starting out at the time. Now, what I heard was, hey, you could go to Colombia for a year. <laughs> and I had been there and I'd fallen in love many times and I'd had some really good times there. And I was like, sure, I'll go to <laughs> Colombia for a year. I wasn't really thinking about my career. Truthfully, it ended up being exactly what my dad you know, had sort of laid out. I found my way once I got there into the entertainment industry. But I, I went there because the girls were pretty and, and the drugs were cheap, frankly. Uh, what age did you go there? When I went there to live there, I was 22. 22, okay. Yeah. yeah. It was 1992. So if you know the history of Colombia, the decade of the 90s was the worst decade yeah. in the history of the country. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so so you worked yourself into show business in Colombia. By this time, were you speaking Spanish fluently? So I, I when I got there, I took a crash course at University de los Andes, which is kind of the, the Harvard of Colombia. That said, it wasn't. I didn't apply. I just it was a, a second. Spanish is a second language course, so I got a crash course. I'd had you know the the basics of grammar that I learned in high school, which actually was very useful because the the past imperfect. You know, yo hubiera ido a la tienda si estuvieras ahí. You know, that's like you know you got to learn that because when you hear it, you don't really understand. So um, so I, I I had that base, but. You know, it took me a couple of years to really be able to speak it. And I started writing in Spanish before I spoke it. I that's got a, a job before I could actually speak it. That's remarkable. So like, yeah, so not only did you work your way into show business, you worked your way into show business in a country that you were not originally from and had to learn the language. <laughs> that's, that's Learn the language, learn the culture. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was a time before formats. Like nobody was... Now we we think about local language content in a very different way than we did then. Like nobody in the u.s was thinking about what they're making in Colombia back then now i think that's not the case but at the time it was a very different world but that was also where the opportunity was you know you're an american you get there i had taken you know a couple of screenwriting courses when i was in college i wasn't i didn't go to film school and uh that made me an expert for, yeah. in Colombia at the time you know this is pre-internet like there just wasn't you know, it was just a very different time. So I weaseled my way, and you talk about film hustlers. I yeah. hustled my way into the business and got a job on a kids' TV show called De Pieza Cabeza. Mm -hmm. And I had a girlfriend who was a seamstress, and so she was always sewing dresses. And so she could just cradle the phone in her ear, and I would say, "How do you say this?" And I literally would write the scripts with her on the phone translating until i had picked because she spoke english yeah until i had picked up enough spanish to do it myself well so, that's a pretty amazing right david <laughs> yeah. jesus i mean i think part of learning a language that is the w way to do it is to be in the country and just have to do it right to to do it the way ben does pretty pretty remarkable but you know i also read that some of the stuff that you have that you did in colombia was like the biggest grossing film at the time or yeah. the most watched television show. I mean, obviously you're someone that should be in the business. You, you were doing things that were unique and interesting to the point where they were breaking records there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. We, I, I created a show called Fuego Verde with the time news correspondent. Uh, it was all about the Emerald zone in Colombia. Which oh, wow. Is like the wild west. 
you know, you can you can carry a couple million dollars of emeralds in your pocket, but there was no law enforcement in that area. It was just these patronas that controlled these areas. All arms, uh, all the women there were either prostitutes or ex-prostitutes. I mean, it was a wild west, but wilder than the wild west. And uh, so we wrote a TV show around that world. And, you know, it was an action-adventure series. And we were, you know, I watched Colombian television. I was like, it seems like everything on television is for women. Mm. Uh, it's all telenovelas. And where's the sort of actions, action-adventure series or something that men can sink their teeth into? You know, nobody had cable at the time. It was probably penetrated 2 3% of the, of the population. So there wasn't access to anything. So if you could give them... I'm not saying it was good. I'm just saying it, it, there was an audience that was not being fed. So all of a sudden they saw something they'd never seen before and it was action and it was funny too. So it became the highest rated show on television. It was on for two years. So hundred episodes in two years, no seasons. So you just go straight oh, through. Wow. And at one point kind of 10 weeks in, it climbed up to around 42. It got as high as 45 Nielsen. Now, that's a third of the households in the country at any given time watching that show. Yeah. And in the Emerald Zone, there were so many people watching it that they had electricity problems. And the, <laughs> that's the amazing. power plant would shut down. So, that's remarkable. Yeah. That well, was fun. congratulations. I mean, that's that's that a, was a long, long time ago. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. But you know, I mean, look, we we I think we talk about it a lot. You know, you think about you know people that are grown up, have grown up in the business or grown up dreaming about ideas, growing up about entertaining people. And sometimes, you know, you're born to do it. I mean, obviously, you know, you were born to entertain folks and to figure out what people want to see. And it started at an early age and you continue to do it now. Uh, but that's pretty cool. I mean, look, in a world where we where we're currently living, it's it's you know, there's a lot of Latinos, there's a lot of uh, minorities, there's a lot of uh, different types of things on television. It feels like it's changing. It feels like, you know, you look up and there's like, um, you know, a show about a reservation, you know, Indian reservation, which I'd not seen before. You, you know, there's a lot of Spanish language stuff. You got VIX Plus coming out uh as a streamer for spanish language which i think you guys have a deal to do mm -hmm. stuff there but how do you feel about what's happening like as, because I, I feel like you're a, an advocate for spanish language content for latinos in film for latinos in television whether it's english or spanish how do you feel about what's happening in in the world of tv and film right now well look i think there's you know some people call it call it the uh, the new mainstream right so the new mainstream is a diverse uh, uh, audience, including Latinos, but not it, it, not only. Um, I think the new mainstream has embraced aspects, or or Hollywood's embraced aspects of the new mainstream. I don't think Latinos are getting their shake yet. The the honest answer is there's there's I think Hollywood still, and you know you talk about Hollywood like it's this monolithic thing. It's not a thing. It's a bunch of people. But and and at the end of the day, all they want to do is make money and be successful. So. Whether they're white people buying shows, they, the, you know, if they think a Latino show will be successful, they're going to put it on, put it on. However, because they don't know and they don't understand the necessarily the nuances or the specificity, it's harder to get them to see what might have value. And because of that, it's harder to uh, sell shows. And once you sell them, like the feeling is, you know, oh, we have our Latin thing. Like they'll try one, they'll try maybe two. 
one in development or two in development. And, and that broadly sort of takes care of this kind of invisible mandate to check a box instead of just saying, you know, bring me great content. Um, and, you know, I, I would say if I do have one, I don't want to even call it a criticism, but one concern I have around the content that's been made recently, it's that in my experience, and again, I'm a straight white male commenting on this, and I say this all with respect. I, I Frankly, I've spent my entire career focused on this market and focused on how, how to crack it. So I feel like I, I've, I have some data that I've gathered over the years of doing it, and I have a big staff. Everybody's Latino, including my partner, except for me. And... My, my observation is that too often the content is so focused on, the, on Latino bubbles, right? It's a Latino family with Latino neighbors and Latino... La, 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 la. And then I look at every Latino I know in the U.S. and I can't see any of them living in a Latino bubble. They all have diverse friends, diverse experiences, their work life. And so what I worry about is that that Hollywood is sort of saying, this is what we want. We want this thing. We want this thing for Latinos. They don't understand it. So they just kind of, uh, you know, and then the Latinos are saying, I think this is what they want. So we're going to give them this thing. And then that thing fails. Whereas like, I, I would, I remember I had this conversation with an animator once, really cool guy. He'd, he'd done a couple of interesting shows. I can't remember what they were now, but, and he said to me, look guys, I'm excited to talk to you, but like, I, I am Latino, but like, I don't like, I don't really embrace that part of my identity. I was like, that's a valid point. All we're looking for is Latino creators, whatever their version of what Latino is. In other words, in his version, he doesn't lean into it at all. That's completely valid. You know, I think the best piece of Latino content created over the last 50 years is Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton's not a Latino play. There are Latinos in it. There are many different diverse people in it. But ultimately, it's a, it's a guy who grew up in the Heights, you know, who was exposed to both immigrants. His father was an immigrant. I think his mother was, too. Um, his, his neighbors, also, you know, Latinos. And then he was also exposed to hip hop and he was exposed to Broadway because he grew up in New York. And that came out of those experiences. Whatever he produced to me is Latino content because it was a Latino creator. Right. And that's ultimately, I think, what we, we're trying to get to is just tell your stories. And I think that there's so often, I, I don't know, I feel like there's this kind of feeling in Hollywood that if you're doing something for Latinos, it's got to look a certain way. I mean, the most successful show I can think of over the last 20 years is probably Jane the Virgin, which at, at its heyday had a 30% Latino audience watching it, which is over-indexing, right? It's 17% of the population. But there was 70% of that audience that was not. Now, the the heart and soul of that show was very Latino. It was like kind of making fun of telenovelas. It had a sort of heightened quality to it. But the cast was not all Latino. The stories weren't about being Latino because there is no such thing as a Latino. My kids are Latino. My wife is Colombian. My kids are Latino. They grow up in the Palisades in L.A. I, like, I don't know. They're never going to look at a piece of content and be like, oh, that's Latino. I identify with it. Right. Right? No, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, that's that was really well said. I, I mean, I think what we want to lean towards is effortlessly diverse projects. Yeah. You know, when you look at something like, I don't know, I want to name 
I want to say Fast and the Furious for some reason, but like Fast and the Furious, you don't go, oh, that's a Latino movie yet, or it's or, or it's a minority filled movie. Like you don't think that about it yet. It is. Yeah, you know, it really is. It really is about the hood and about you know uh, about cars and about car culture and and I think that and it's about family at its, its core. It's about family and, at its core. Yeah. And by the way, like you look at Fast and Furious, like it was an accident that it ha- that it turned right. into what it became. Now they sort of stake a claim with it. Enough. I mean, they've done an amazing job of building that out. I'm not taking anything away from it, but it wasn't intentional. They didn't go in and into it intentionally to do that thing. I think it was. You know, Vin Diesel, who's sort of, uh, he is what you want him to be. You know? yeah, that's He's right, apparently yeah. like some percentage Dominican, but nobody really knows. He looks Italian. He looks, he is what you want him to be. And I think, right. by the way, that's the American melting pot. It really is. You know, I think, I think, I think that's really a valid is. way to approach things. But I just think ultimately, like, you know, the other thing that I get a little bit uh, frustrated by is this whole idea of like, if we're Latinas, we all have to watch Latino content. It's like, no, you don't. You got to watch things you want to watch. And if if we as content creators are not creating content that other people want to watch, that's on us. It's not on them. There's yeah. Nobody has any obligation to watch anything because it checks a box. Right. And by the way, nobody's going to. They're going to watch it because they're interested in yeah. it. And so we have to make things that are interesting. And ultimately, Latinos are the mainstream, a thousand percent. And if you want them to watch something, it's got to be cool as shit. Yeah. It has to stand out in the marketplace, period, full stop. They're not going to go see something because it's Latino or whatever. you know. And I think that that's an interesting thing about everyone trying to find the Latino gold, because I think the Latino gold is in good content. You know? But you do want to see, like, to me, like, there's two kinds of aspirational movies. The first bucket, and I'm guilty as charged, I've made movies like this, but it's like, hey, these kids who are coming from slender means and they do something incredible and look at, you know, and that's aspirational, but it's also telling a story where they're starting from the bottom. So you're saying, oh, this group's starting from the bottom. Philly Brown. Right. Right. Exactly. So the other version of aspirational is showing like having a hundred million dollar Hollywood movie starring a Latino. It's not about being Latino. It's simply that guy is starring in this movie. You know, that to me is a more, that's the kind of aspirational that I think Latinos really long for. They want to see themselves reflected in the cool mainstream Hollywood content. And look, it's hard where I stand for me to get there because you have to get into the studio. I mean, I make studio movies, quote unquote, they're on the lower side of the budgets and, you know, it's, it's, but, but to, 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 you know, Marvel doing a movie or, you know, Bad Bunny is going to star in it. And I hope that movie is cool as shit because Bad Bunny in a cool shit superhero movie is going to be great, enormous. Yeah. And the Latinos are going to over index insanely because they fucking love that guy. Yeah. But it's not because it's Latino. No. It's not because it's Latino they're going to see it. It's a Bad Bunny and it's cool as shit. Now, if you make a shitty one, you might get the audience first weekend and they're going to be like, what, why Why do you keep making this shitty content for us? You know? <laughs> I also think like no one is forgiving any longer. Like we have so much content that we can just access at home. So, you know, you're not going to spend an hour on a crappy show just because it checks some box. You know, you, you don't have enough time. You know, we, anyway, that that's where I feel like our obligations are. I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, 
But there is so many different boxes that we're all in as Latino content creators. I think that there's sort of room for everything, but it's very clear what doesn't work because you're going to have to, whatever story you're telling is going to have to leak into everyone else. Like you can't just have Latinos watching a show that I don't think that's the way to go. You can't sustain, especially now. Everybody's so splintered. Like, you know, Eugenio's my partner. He has a very big audience. But now when you put content on one platform or another, you're not getting his whole audience. And so you you have to rely on other audiences finding it as well yeah. in order for it to work. Well, something being good, now, since you mentioned it, Eugenio Derbez is your partner. Uh, he's a juggernaut. He's like one of the biggest stars in the world. Everyone loves him. Like not just Mexican people, not just Latinos. People who discover him. Not everyone. everybody's discovered him over time. But slowly this guy has like made, you know, movie after movie, show after show. And the one consistent thing is that he's, you guys are always successful yeah. in these outings, which is amazing. Like, I'm sure that to you guys, there's different levels of it. But from where we sit, everything he seems to touch turns to gold, even if he's just starring in it. Like, right, I saw him in Coda. Is that what it's called? Coda, yeah. Okay, saw him in Coda. Amazing, like, amazing part. And and the the reality is, like, look, there's behind the scenes, there's a lot of decisions being made about what he should and shouldn't be doing. And Coda was exciting to him because the script was great. The director was amazing. Like, you know... He talked to her a lot. I spoke to her as well before he signed on because, you you know, you want him to take swings that are going to make a difference. And, you know, look, it's been the last eight years has been, you know, the first thing he said to me, you know, he, the, the way we've been friends for 20 plus years and and I'd made a bunch of movies with him before we were partners. And then he made Instructions Not Included. I was working at Lionsgate at the time, Pantaleon, which is their Lat, was their Latin division. And and so when that movie became the success it was, a $5 million movie made $100 million at the box office, still the highest grossing Spanish language movie ever in the history of the world. And, you know, it gave him the opportunity to kind of go out and build. And the first thing he said to me was, I want to make English language content. And for me, that was, that was a huge puzzle because you knew his audience would show up in Spanish. And if you can make a $5 million movie that makes $100 million, like, my instinct is make a couple more, you know, <laughs> right. but he, you know, to his credit, like he wasn't, he, he, he said to me, like, I don't do this for the money. If the money comes, it comes because it comes. I do things because I'm excited about them. And I love the challenge of trying to cross over into English for me. Like I was a guy who had to go out and find the content. And so I kept saying, okay, we got, you know, we, we sort of talked about what, what should your next move be? The hardest thing was to, you know, Instruction Not Included has a, you know, a, a great ending. One of the, you know, when movies end a certain way and surprise you, like The Sixth Sense, it's, it sets you up for failure because everyone's expecting every movie you make to be surprising. I was like, let's go the opposite direction. Let's just do a fun comedy. We're going to do it in English. Let's surround you with as many stars as we can and do something that even if your face is on the poster, the title, your face... And all those other actors' names sells the movie. And that's how we got the How to Be a Latin Lover. And, you know, it was a great exercise. We made it for 11. It made 65 million bucks in, in global box office. And, you know, that was a, that was a you know, a, a small success that really um, kind of built the, the, the foundations. And then, you know, we did Overboard intentionally because we wanted to take something that everybody was fully aware of, knew we would piss off a lot of mostly white people are like, how could you ruin our romantic comedy? And 
and and at least he would for his core they're still going to come out for it which they did and we love the idea of like flipping the roles and looking at you know my favorite scene in the movie that no one ever talks about is when the rich mexicans come to pick him up he doesn't know who he is he's lost his memory and he they show up in this white trash house and they feel really uncomfortable around these poor people. And I was like, this has never been seen, but it's real. Yeah, that's you funny. Know? So, you know, it was a nice way to be able to break stereotypes, but doing it was something that like, and I remember when uh, on Good Morning America, I forgot what's the name of the, one of the blonde, she was like, she was interviewing Jack Rico, who 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 is a, a critic on the East Coast, really smart guy. I'd had a really great conversation with him about, about the movie and so he was on she's like what are you excited about this he's like i'm really excited about overboard and he starts to get into it and she goes you know you know overboard the only thing i want to know is where's kurt russell and then she moves on to the next thing i was like this is the problem yeah was instructions not included in spanish yes see that's that's the thing is because i speak both languages i don't remember (laughs) you know i don't remember that it was in spanish i could have said it was in english and it would have was it was 70 percent english there was a little bit right that was a great movie that was another one of those that just had a great third act like there was something great about that third act that pulled it all together and like i can see people leaving a theater happy that they just you know happy walking out of that film was good good flick oh yeah i mean heartfelt very heartfelt, really funny, and then very heartfelt. And very and heartfelt. Yeah. It had physical comedy. I remember seeing it when we were testing it, and I had seen it once before. And there's a scene in the movie where they're in a truck crossing the border, and the the guy hits the brakes, the truck driver, and these I think it's like a plate of fries or something flies <laughs> up in his face. And I was like, really, the pie in the face? So I, I had to say something. Oh, honey, I was like, pie in the face, and it, this is how smart Ohenio is. He's like, I know, I know. I know, but I got to give, you know, I want, I want there to be comedy for every kind of audience. Yeah. And so that's a very broad thing for a certain kind of audience. When I was in the theater, we tested it in Van Nuys, I think. And that was the biggest laugh. Oh, movie. really? That's true. Yeah. So, well, but, but he knows that. I mean, yeah. he's very calculating that. Like he really wants the biggest audience possible to watch his movie. Pretty awesome. Um, What's going on with the TV stuff you're doing? What are you guys doing next? What's the plan? We have a, a lot of unscripted shows that we do. We have a couple for Amazon. Don't forget about Acapulco. I'll t- I will tell. Uh, of course, I'm going to promote Acapulco. <laughs> uh, but we have a show called LOL, which is in its fifth season, which is ten comedians in a room trying to make each other laugh. If you laugh, you're eliminated. Last person standing That's gets great. fifty thousand bucks. Ohio is the host. And uh, it's been a huge hit for Amazon on a Latin American level and actually on a global level, depending on who you ask. And, and then we have Debbie Eichel's Derbez, which is the whole Derbez family. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and many other unscripted shows. But the, uh, and then we have Acapulco on Apple, which the second season drops um, uh, October 21st. I don't know when this podcast drops, but no, it's Friday. So there you go. This on the Friday. day of release. <laughs> there you go. So today's yeah. the day. Go check it out. Um, and is that streamable? You can stream the whole thing. Yeah. Right away. Uh, no, no, it's, it's two episodes. And oh, two one, episodes. One a week. That's cool. It's the old school model. Yeah, man. <laughs> the old school model. That's a, that's what I hate about HBO max. Um, I want to see I more house it. of dragon I love suffering a little bit. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. Cause I think it's like, that instant satisfaction, it doesn't leave you time to kind of decompress and take it in and talk yeah. to your friends about it. And I miss that about television. So 
I actually really much more. I, I like Apple's. I think Apple's doing amazing content. Yeah, they, no, I agree. They really kind of hit their mark. What do you think? What's the future look like? Like if Ben Odell's thinking about 10 years down the road. I don't know. I, it's, it's so hard to tell. I mean, I thought we would have been further along at this point. Mm, yeah, that's so tough. That's it's, a tough it's hard part. to make that prediction. But look, I mean, there's there are inroads being made. I mean, I think one of the things I'm most proud of in our company is that when our employees leave, which I hope that they're happy and don't, if unless they're not very good, and then, but <laughs> I, you know, I try to hire well. I have a great team, and you know, when they when and if they have to leave, they end up going to Netflix or HBO or Warner Brothers or and and doing great things. And I'm hoping that all these companies that are employing Latinos that can slowly make their way to the top and we can see more executives at the highest levels uh, who represent. And then I think that's going to open up a lot of doors. But, you know, look, look, the business is going to change so dramatically year to year. What I always say is like, whatever the business model is today, it's not going to work tomorrow. So you have to constantly be shifting and you have to be really light on your toes to keep in touch with the evolution of the audience. What I'm certain of is that where it is all headed is Web3. I don't think anyone today can predict what Web3 is going to look like, honestly. I think it's going to be very different than all, you know, when you look at any of these innovations, when they start out, the, the earliest, you know, look at NFTs. You sell like a little digital picture of a dude and that's like, that, that business is sort of already gone, except for the ones that are already out there in the marketplace. But Web3, what I think it really is going to lead to is that the relationship between the viewer and the creator is going to be one-on-one where, you know, right now we have a lot of middle people inside. Yeah. And I think that's going to happen more and more. Um, so that's part of it, but you know, you have to keep in, you have to, you have to keep the metaverse and whatever that it's not going to be one thing. And as, as some people will remind you, it already exists when you look at video games and you know, it's already out there, right? right? People are already living in a metaverse in yeah. certain ways, but that's going to continue to evolve and change. That's going to affect how much content's being created, all this consolidation. It's, it's really hard to predict, but I, I think, you know, it is a creator's universe. The thing that I, I, I mourn, but there's not much you can do about it. It's better not to look back is, you know, there's no water cooler experiences anymore. You know, you just remember when we were kids, mm. like I was, I went to see star Wars in the theater and there was a, there was a two, there was a two, a block, a, a, blo- a line around two blocks i got there right at 7 p.m when the show was about to start just as they put the sold out sign on there and my mom looks at me and says don't worry we'll come back next week and from that point forward i'm always 30 minutes early to any movie even when we have reserved seats because i was so traumatized (laughs) by it but like it was that special yeah you know that's gone like the, the the feeling like that you can watch something that can really end up, you know, in the zeitgeist and where people are talking about it and affected by it. I think it's gone. I mean, you know, Coda was a beautiful movie. Like, is anyone talking about Coda anymore? No. no. I mean, they're talking about it for six months, but it's gone. But that that you're right about. Like, you know, you could watch. I remember watching, I don't know, watching Grease, watching Saturday Night Fever, 
um, God, there was so many of them, and you'd watch Jaws. them. Yeah, you'd watch them for three months. Indiana Jones, four months, yes. five months, over and over again. You actually go to the theater and watch them because you couldn't really have them at home. So, and and uh, and a movie would be in your mind and in your heart for probably a year or two. And they I, kept, I went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood four times in the theater. Dude, that it's was, a great movie. So, it was yeah, so great. Such a good movie. Like, just the tapping into the nostalgia of what has been yeah. lost was. Well, one thing I want to point out that I think is important, Eugenio Derbez said he wants he doesn't do it for the money. He yeah. does it because it's exciting right. to him. He wants to do things that are challenging. I think that's a really great way to look at what pe- what you do, what you plan on doing. I think you know? the rule of thumb is it's got to be something that you want to see that doesn't exist. Yeah. If if you find those projects. And I'm not, by the way, like if I look at my filmography, I can't say that about a lot of the stuff I made. I mean, just to be honest, like you're also making a living. So a lot of it is the hustle, right? But in the best of cases, it's like, oh my God, I want to see this story come to life. How do I do it? And I want to see it. That that's the only thing that's going to drive you for the anywhere from 12 months to as long as it's taking me to get a movie, probably seven or eight years. Valet took a You guys did the valet too. I should I should have had a list of all the stuff that you guys have done. You guys done a lot of good work. Um, but yeah, sometimes it takes a while. Certified and, fresh, and you <laughs> and you don't give so up. Is yeah, and you don't give up. You don't give up if you if seven years to make. It's because you didn't give up on it, or or it wasn't just adrenaline. It was actually an idea that you cared about that people cared about. That's neat. That's pretty cool. Um, let me ask you this: Have you ever heard of ExtremeMusic.com? No. Okay. Streammusic.com is a, is a website where they, there's thousands of composers, thousands of songs. I guess they're, they're a library of music, music an extensive music library. I think they're owned by Sony. But anyway, they're one of our sponsors. They're the reason that we do the show. Um, but uh, we use it all the time. I use it on all my movies. And if you like it, you, you can buy it for a fraction of the cost of using a composer. So I want you to check them out, Ben. ExtremeMusic.com. That's right. Check them out, ExtremeMusic.com. They're the best in the biz. Well, Ben, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think you're very inspirational. Your story, your personal story we could talk about like for an hour, but what you've done, where you came from, how you got there is amazing. The how you've gotten into Latin content is amazing. All the work that you guys have done with Tripas, Tripas, I want to say that right, with Tripas, and with Eugenio is remarkable. Um, and, you know, I mean, you're a, you're a special kind of company, special guy. We appreciate you being on the show, inspiring people. And, um, you know, I think the goal is to just get people thinking and talking and creating content that makes a difference. All right. Amen. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All Thanks right. for listening to um, Film Hustlers. We'll see you next time. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, bud. Yeah. That was cool. I appreciate it. Uh, jump-